kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. See it on the news. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I was in complete shock, first of all. I could not believe it. It was so unbelievably violent and gruesome that it was a little bit terrifying to know that I had shared such close quarters with her and that she was capable of it because we had written off the things that she had done as these, like, little you know, things crappy people do, but it was like mind blowing to, to hear what she did, how she tried to get away with it. I, I mean, I guess it was just shock that we had gone from like what seemed like these little things to this unbelievable escalation of this unbelievable murder. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. We've both got our cocktails. We can't record without them. Honestly, I'm just too uptight to talk, (laughs) you know? You honestly are. Like, I actually don't need one, but you do. Oh, 100%. And because I don't really engage with people during the day. I mean, I'm here at my office and there are people here, but I sit at my computer and I laser focus on things all day. So if I'm tasked with then being like social and listenable, I'm just wound up way too tight. Like I either need to go on a jog around a neighborhood yeah, or have a drink. And this seems like the easier one considering I'm still at my office. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more productive. Well, I don't know. Eh, Who knows? We're just, we're just doing whatever we can to get through, you know, just trying to make it through every week with recording three episodes, which is fucking insane. That I we're know. At this place. It's a lot. Yeah. But we're doing it. We're not missing anything. Okay. So do you want to know what date it is today? I'm dying to know. So number one, I can't believe that it is pretty much September. Where has this year gone? The summer basically didn't happen. Yeah. I'm disappointed in that. <laughs> I'm really sad. But today is August 31st and it is Eat Outside Day. So I think that that's a really nice, nice idea. You know, I love being outside. We're I doing prefer- that tomorrow. I prefer a patio. We are having a nice outside brunch tomorrow. I hate being inside while I eat. So this is a day for me, I think. I love this. This is your day. This is my day. There's also National Matchmaker Day. Go outside and get yourself a matchmaker. You know, if the dating apps are not working for you, maybe try something new. But don't be a matchmaker because every time I've tried to set my friends up with a guy friend, it's always a mistake. I regret it every time. Never do this. It'll just make your life harder. No, all you're doing is mixing two different friend groups. And And then then when it it blows up, it's your fault. 
and you have to hear about it. I mean, not if, when. It's going to blow you up. You can't invite them both to a party and then it's your fault, your problem, because yeah. just don't do it, friends. No, absolutely not. Don't do, don't be a matchmaker. The last one, it is National Trail Mix Day. So lots of days. Go eat some trail mix outside. No, trail mix is far too dry, <laughs> too much dried fruit. Not the snack for me. It's really not the st- snack for me anyways. But um, I think that that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. So everyone knows the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. It's an effective way of encouraging people to get to know one another before passing judgment. It's nice in theory. After all, appearances can be deceiving. But what about when you haven't judged a book by its cover? In fact, you've read the book. You've spent time with the book. You think you know this book, except you don't. It's so tempting to think we understand what goes through someone's head because we've befriended them or worked alongside them. But the truth is, and it's a scary truth, no one actually knows anyone. We all deal with our personal demons, and for the most part, we do our best to conceal these demons from our peers. We don't want anyone to know about them. We conceal them from people we live with, from family. And that's because sometimes those demons are criminal, and even worse, sometimes they're deadly. So we begin today's case on March 11th of 2011, and on this exact day, Japan experienced its largest earthquake ever recorded, which caused massive devastation, a tsunami, and the second worst nuclear disaster in history. The number one song in the country was Lady Gaga's iconic Born This Way, followed by CeeLo Green's Forget You and Bruno Mars's Grenade. I mean, such a good time for music. And at the box office, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 led the way by a pretty big amount despite it being released five months earlier in November, which I'm not surprised by because it's an amazing movie. And then Deathly Hallows Part 2 would be released in July. And the setting for today's case is Bethesda, Maryland. So Bethesda is located about seven miles northwest of Washington, D.C., and it has a population of around 65,000 people. And it's considered an affluent area and its residents are highly educated, with over 80% of adults holding a bachelor's degree. So due to its rich nightlife, restaurants, and shopping, it was named one of the best places to live in 2018 by Money Magazine. Well, that's not nothing. So now we're going to introduce you to our first degree for today's case. And her name is Lainey. And in 2002, Lainey was a Florida-based senior in high school. Beyond that, she was also an amazing soccer player. And Lainey was being courted and recruited by several universities to play soccer for them, and she began going on her recruitment trips. One of Lainey's recruitment trips was to Stony Brook University, which is located on the north shore of Long Island, New York, 60 miles east of New York City. And side note, Stony Brook is five minutes from where I grew up. Several of my family members live in Stony Brook, and it's beautiful. My best friend went to dental school at Stony Brook University, and I took classes there when I was a senior. Damn. So I know this campus like the back of my hand. I've been there a bajillion times. Um, I went to camp there when I was a kid. So very familiar with where part of this story, at least, unfolds. So a little bit more about Stony Brook University. So it's actually named the State University of New York, but nobody calls it that. And just to give you an idea of the school, it has around 26,000 students and is fairly prestigious with an acceptance rate of about 49%. And their mascots are the Stony Brook Seawolves. 
And even though Lainey was from Florida, literally a thousand miles away from Stony Brook, she already knew someone at the university, which is a great help if you're going on a recruitment trip or if you're going to be an incoming freshman. You want at least one ally there. So for clarity, we're going to call this friend Jane, but that's not her real name. So Jane went to high school near Lainey's high school in Florida, and she was one year ahead of Lainey, which is why she was already in college. And since Jane was on the Stony Brook women's soccer team, she showed Lainey around Long Island during Lainey's recruitment trip. And this is specifically Suffolk County, New York, Long Island, on the eastern end of the island. And when Jane took Lainey around to show her around, she wasn't alone. She brought along one of her closest friends from college, another young woman, and another player on the school's soccer team. And her name was Brittany Norwood. She had befriended Brittany in a way that they were very, very close. That friend had a car on campus and Brittany didn't. So they were two peas in a pod all the time. Brittany Norwood was not just a soccer player at Stony Brook, but she was one of the most revered players on the team. During Brittany's time at Stony Brook, she won a ton of awards for her athleticism and earned spots on exclusive regional teams. And Brittany's teammates described her as an incredible and highly valued team member of the team, and the coaches thought so as well. In fact, ABC7 News reported that Brittany was the linchpin of Stony Brook's defense. She would not get beat. And if she did, then that person was going to lose the ball or, I mean, they weren't going to beat her, essentially. So if, if somebody was to get past her, they weren't going to get a shot off. That's not going to happen. Not on Brittany's watch. She was a wall back there. I mean, Brittany sure as hell weren't going to score on her. And more than being just an excellent athlete, Brittany had a million-dollar smile. She was beautiful, approachable, and friendly. And one classmate actually described Brittany as sweet and funny. And she wasn't quick to anger. It seemed like Brittany was exactly the friend you'd want to hang out with easygoing, and a blast to be around. She would be the perfect person to help Jane by showing Lainey around Stony Brook, right? On my recruiting trip, my, my friend from my neighboring high school and Brittany show me around. And so on your recruiting trip, you get kind of shown the sites and you don't have to pay for anything. Like the school basically pays for everything except for little things that you do on your own. So in this case, my friend from the neighboring high school and Brittany took me to the local mall. Lainey was super pumped to go to H&M, and I feel like we all know H&M today, but back in the day, it wasn't available in her Florida hometown, so this was like a super big deal. And Lainey's dad, who was unsure about how recruiting trips really worked financially, had given Lainey 300 bucks for this exact situation. You know, buying new clothes, cute clothes emergencies, something like that. But when Lainey, Jane, and Brittany were shopping at H&M, they got a phone call warning the girls that they needed to leave soon to be back in time for a planned dinner for Lainey's recruitment trip. And both my friend and Brittany were like, we don't want to make anybody mad. Like, we've got to get back. And I was like, no, I have all this stuff picked out. Like, this is going to be my favorite part of the trip. So they said, put it on hold. We'll come back and get it for you. So we drive back to campus. And they drop me off where I'm about to have, like, the official coach's dinner or whatever. I give my wallet to my friend and Brittany, and they're like, yep, we'll go back and get it. No problem. So Jane and Brittany return to H&M to get Lainey's clothes for her, which is super nice. So they gave Lainey back her new clothes, but they forgot to give her her wallet back. And at first, Lainey didn't even notice because she didn't need money on this trip. Everything was handled, and she didn't even notice her wallet was missing. She was busy making new friends, seeing the sights, eating great food, and it was all the university's dime. 
And she was really trying to take it all in to decide if she wanted to go to college here. It was far from home. It's an important decision. So that's what she was focused on. And at the end of the weekend, when Lainey was getting ready to pack her stuff up and go back to Florida, she asked for her wallet back from Jane. She finally realized it was missing. And Jane gave it back. Immediately, Lainey noticed that the $300 in cash that her dad had given her was gone. She gives it back to me, and it's empty. There's no money in it. And I'm like, oh, man, what the heck did I do with all that money my dad gave me? And, like, at this point, I've had all Friday up there, all Saturday up there. I've had the time of my life, but my wallet was completely empty when I got it back. To be clear, the clothes that Lainey bought from H&M would have maxed out at about $100, but it was the remainder of the cash that had mysteriously vanished. That was the first time that Brittany actually stole from me. So here's the thing. Immediately following this incident, Lainey didn't suspect Brittany. It's only through the lens of retrospect after they had spent countless hours together. You see, Stony Brook University wanted Lainey to come back to play for them for her freshman year. And she accepted, which meant that she'd be moving to Stony Brook, New York, and Brittany would become her teammate. And it's important to note that when you play a college sport, your team kind of becomes your entire life. Right. Especially as an incoming freshman, you know, no one, you move to a a state far away without your family, without friends, you're together day in and day out practices, games on weekends, driving to tournaments on buses, flying on airplanes to go to tournaments. You're showering naked in locker rooms. Things get really intimate and really close really quickly. So generally you also have classes with them outside of your sports These people become your entire social lives, and you even go to the university sooner than your peers who aren't on sports teams months earlier. The only chance that you get to make friends is the people that you are spending hours and hours and hours with each day. So your teammates are now your social circle. You're on bus rides with them that are hours long. You're comparing notes about what classes to take. Some are mandatory, and soccer is a fall sport. So, you know, we would start in the middle of the summer before anybody else was even on campus. And Stony Brook is a huge commuter school. So you are not really making a lot of friends with people because a lot of people go home on the weekends and stuff. So so truthfully, yes. I mean, to circle back, like your teammates are your friends. They are your best friends. So that's sort of a perk of being a college athlete. You have a built-in friend group that's waiting for you. And you have this unique experience bonding everybody together in this really special way. And of course, since they played soccer together, Lainey's new friend group included Brittany Norwood. And as she spent more and more time within proximity to Brittany, she learned bits and pieces about her life. Brittany was born on May 19th of 1982, and she grew up in Federal Way, Washington, Washington State, not D.C. And this is located about 20 miles south of Seattle. And Brittany apparently was from a huge family. She was a sixth of nine siblings, the youngest daughter. That's a lot of kids. Her parents, Earl and Lurkita, seem to be typical caring parents, and there isn't much information available about Brittany's childhood. But we do know that even in high school, she was a talented soccer player. Lainey's main connection to Brittany outside of soccer was their mutual friend, Jane. And remember, she was the friend that Lainey already knew from back home in Florida. Jane and Brittany were best friends, so Lainey was kind of close to Brittany by default. And Brittany didn't have a car, but Jane did. So the three gals spent a lot of time driving around and doing things. And overall, Lainey had positive feelings about Brittany as a whole. I do have like a little bit of inside perspective because I was close to her best friend because we'd come from neighboring high school. So 
if I was feeling like, oh, I don't know what to do or I don't know how to handle this, I could easily go to that girl and Brittany was there by proximity because they were so close. She was lovely and she was extremely competitive and she was a great soccer player. She seemed so nice. She has a huge like megawatt smile. She is very kind of quiet, but she's also super friendly. At Stony Brook University, Brittany majored in sociology, the study of human behavior. It's a little ironic that Brittany chose that degree since her own behavior was quite interesting. So once Lainey started with soccer team and began befriending the other players, she became aware of Brittany's, we're going to call it reputation. And it wasn't necessarily a great one. Namely, Brittany had a bad habit of stealing from the other teammates. So you can have a million dollar smile and be a great soccer player, but that's not great to be stealing from your friends. So the other players were weary of her around unsecured lockers and were even reluctant to invite her back to their dorms. We're talking she would take money lying around, a a top she might want, a ring she'd see in a friend's room and slip on her finger. Nothing was safe. They would want their drawers closed if Brittany came into their room because she had like a sleight of hand and she could take things pretty effortlessly. And it's when Lainey started hearing these stories that she realized what had happened to that missing money from her wallet on that recruitment trip. The last person who had had it before it was returned to her was, of course, Brittany. She remembers the moment when it all clicked for her. Of course, after everything came out, it was like, duh, she took all the money out of your wallet. You crazy person. That's why you came back with nothing. So apparently Brittany would steal almost anything from anyone, even her close friends on the team, and even if it meant causing a major scene. One time Brittany came into a salon to receive a full weave of imported hair, but at the end of her service, Brittany made this huge scene saying that somebody had stolen over $1,000 from her purse. But this purse she had conveniently left in the front waiting area of the salon. And this whole situation was really weird, especially since the salon receptionist had been at her post the entire time and didn't see anybody steal anything. And I don't know, but why would you leave your purse with over $1,000 in the waiting area of a salon? I don't know. I would put it next to my feet or near the stylist station, but that's just me. But eventually, the salon owner let Brittany go without payment. And Brittany said that she'd return with the money later, but I'm sure you guessed it. She never did. And this isn't the last time that Brittany would try to suspiciously explain away missing money. The thefts would become more bold and brazen, and her cover-up stories would continue to become more and more elaborate. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Lainey, Brittany, and some other college students from Stony Brook University decided one day to take a fun road trip to a nearby private college called Hofstra University. And I also know Hofstra University really well. Um, it's about 30 minutes from where Stony Brook is. So surely they had college friends over there. They decided to go party on that side of town. So their plan was to meet up with their friends and bar hop and have a good time. So they carpooled in the SUV of another soccer player. Her name's Leanna, and she was the one driving that night. And after their fun night out, they were headed back to the university when Leanna popped a curb and she popped it hard. She messed her car up to the point where it was undrivable. It's impressive, you know, but don't worry, Liana, we've all been there. We've had a great night. Everything is fun. We're leaving, and she runs into a curb and, like, hits it so hard she, like, breaks an axle. And so the car cannot go. Like, we are stuck. We can't get home. We all either get a ride or a cab. We kind of split off. There was, like, five or six of us. Brittany volunteers to stay behind and wait for the tow truck driver. And Leanna's just like, screw it, I want to go home. So Brittany's like, I'll wait. So Brittany stays behind with the tow truck driver, and, and Leanna gives her her wallet. And the way it was told to me, or the way that I remember it, is she had said, whatever it costs, you know, like, go to the ATM, take all the money out, and that's how, that's how you'll pay the tow truck driver. 
So this car is done for. Brittany is staying to pay the tow truck, but she needs money from Leanna, and it's in the early 2000s. So Venmo and PayPal, nothing like that is a thing yet. So if you want to pay a tow truck to tow your car, you need cold, hard cash. So Leanna gave Brittany her wallet and her information to get her money out of the ATM and proceeded to skedaddle her way home. Brittany is supposed to wait for the tow truck driver, pay them as much as they need, and head home herself. But surprise, surprise, that's not what Brittany does. Then it comes out that all the money in this girl's account is gone. Like, it's just been completely taken. So then she's like, what the heck? Like, how much did it cost to get the tow truck? Brittany is like, oh, my gosh, he took all my money. He said I had to. Like, basically, the tow truck driver robbed me, you know? And so, like, for my safety, I had to give him all the money. And to be clear, months had passed since Leanna had hit this curb and this tow truck needed to be called. At no point did Brittany mention being robbed or mention this criminal act that was allegedly committed by this tow truck driver. She didn't come home after that night and tell Leanna any of this. It like came out once Leanna was like, dude, what the hell? I'm like in the negative so much. And she's like, oh my gosh, yeah, this like terrible tow truck driver driver, like took advantage of me that night. Once again, Brittany was responsible for a lot of missing cash. And once again, the situation's sketchy. Brittany didn't call the police. She didn't tell Leanna until she was confronted. It was a super suspicious story, to say the least. And Brittany's teammates weren't buying it. They all rolled their eyes. And with Brittany's history of stealing, they all saw right through it. And Leanna, the girl's who ATM account was wiped out because Brittany was quote-unquote robbed, later told the Washington Post, that Brittany was a klepto and everyone knew it and even she knew it. So let's sidebar for a second and summarize kleptomania because the word klepto does get thrown around in several contexts. I'm sure you've said it or heard it or whatever. So according to the Mayo Clinic, kleptomania is an impulse control disorder where someone can't stop themselves from stealing things that they don't need and that have little value. And we're not talking about stealing food to feed your family. This is when a person steals clothes or jewelry or whatever when they already have a full closet. It's shit that you do not need. And it's not public knowledge if Brittany was diagnosed with kleptomania, but even if she was, it's no excuse to continuously steal from people. People have to take responsibility for their actions, and Brittany never did. And no one made her. Exactly. Despite Brittany's continued pattern of theft, no one confronted Brittany about her stealing, not even the Stony Brook soccer coach who was made aware of what was happening. I think everybody basically had like an eye roll approach to it because it is like hammered into your head that like, these are your teammates. And I know that people would go to the coach and say like, when she's around, things go missing. And coach never looked up from her paper. She did not care. She was not interested in any sort of accountability on her end, nothing. And you know how it goes. Brittany was an incredible soccer player. She was one of the best. So if she was good on the field, she kind of could do no wrong. The team and camaraderie amongst the players was far more important. She is such a good player. I mean, she's incredibly strong, incredibly fast, like just a great player. So if you have eliminated this person from your roster, you are at a huge disadvantage. So essentially it was like, this is a team issue. This is not something that she's going to take on. You know, like this is an interpersonal issue. This isn't something that the coach thought was worthy of, you know, disciplining over. Truthfully, her spot on the team was it that was way more important than any sort of you know dishonesty or thievery that was going on eventually both Brittany and Lainey left Sony Brook University and went their separate ways 
Lainey eventually transferred to another college that was a better fit. And Brittany left Stony Brook in 2004, but didn't graduate with a degree, and it's unclear why. At some point, Brittany moved to Bethesda, Maryland, where she had family nearby. And as you know, it's where our story takes place. And when she got there, she appeared to live a normal life for a woman in her early 20s. Although Brittany's stealing was well-recognized in her Stony Brook soccer team, Brittany managed to keep her criminal record pretty clean. In 2005, she didn't show up for a court appearance for a speeding ticket. And then three years later in 2008, Brittany had a landlord-tenant dispute. But these were relatively minor incidents that could be explained away pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've all been there with speeding tickets, I'll say. Yeah. So by 2011, Brittany was working in Bethesda at a Lululemon Athletica store. So for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of purchasing $98 plus leggings, (laughs) let me tell you a little about Lululemon. So a billionaire... Chip Wilson. He owns a ton of retail businesses. He established Lululemon in 1998 in Canada. And according to their website, they're a yoga-inspired technical athletic apparel company for women and men. We're thinking leggings. We're thinking sports bras, tank tops. Decent quality, definitely overpriced. Definitely overpriced. But that being I mean, said, though, all of my like all my workout stuff's Lululemon. I know how it fits and I like it and it does the job. <laughs> It is great. So before getting the job at Lululemon, Brittany had worked at the front desk of a hotel, but Brittany's dream was to open a gym. And this really makes it seem like athletics had remained a focus of Brittany's life. While she was working at Lululemon, she was actively taking steps to try to inch closer to her dream. And in fact, in mid-March of 2011, Brittany was supposed to interview for a personal trainer position at Equinox, which is a high-end pricey memberships only gym that Alexis worked at? Yeah, me and our um, other mutual bestie, Anna, we both worked front desk (laughs) at uh, the Equinox in West Hollywood. Had to deal with a lot of uh, B-list celebrities coming Uh, in. I wouldn't call Gabe Navarro B-list, but okay. (laughs) Or Fabio, too. I saw Fabio a lot. (laughs) Those were probably the only A-list. Anyways, so from there, maybe Brittany would have flourished in her new career as a fitness expert, you know, after moving forward in her gym dreams. But we'll never know because Brittany never made it to that interview. Right. Because as Brittany was orbiting the world of fitness and finding her footing, our first-degree Lainey had long moved on from her freshman year at Stony Brook University. I was actually living in Ohio with the time, and somebody sent me a picture of the Glamour Magazine article and said, didn't you go to school with this girl? And then that just opened up Pandora's box. This article detailed how Brittany Norwood and her coworker Jaina Murray, had been attacked at the Bethesda Lululemon store where they worked. That's terrifying. So according to Brittany, two masked men had violently assaulted and raped both her and Jaina. Jaina was found dead at the scene and Brittany was found tied up after being sexually assaulted. So holy shit, uh, who would do that and for what possible reason? So you know the drill. To answer all these questions, we got to go back. It's early in the morning in Bethesda, Maryland, on Saturday, March 12th of 2011. Rachel Ortilly, a manager at Lululemon, arrived at the store shortly before 8 a.m. And when she walked in, Rachel noticed that the door to the store was unlocked, which is definitely odd, but she didn't really think much of it. She assumed that someone had already arrived and forgotten to lock the door behind them. But when she entered the store, everything was in complete chaos and disarray. Rachel called out and heard somebody moaning. 
Clearly something bad has happened and it's really fucking scary. So she is freaked out, understandably, and she bolted from the store and called 911. So as Rachel exited the store, she saw a man named Ryan who was waiting outside the adjoining Apple store. So the Apple store didn't open for a few more hours, but Ryan had arrived early to purchase the new iPad that had been released the day before. I mean, you got to wait in line for those tech obsessions, (laughs) I guess. I mean, I've never done that, but people do it. So Rachel's terrified. So she asked Ryan to come into Lululemon with her because she has a really bad feeling about what she's going to find inside. So being a nice guy, Ryan agreed. So when they entered the store, Ryan went to the back of the store by himself at Rachel's request because she just didn't feel good about it. What he saw would change his life forever. So he saw Jana Murray, who was a 30-year-old Lululemon employee. She was covered in blood and laying on the ground. And nearby was 29-year-old Brittany Norwood. Brittany was tied up and bleeding, had torn clothing, but she was still alive. And photos from the scene depict what nightmares are made of. The back storage room area of the store was drenched in blood as if somebody was washing the floor and walls with it. Clumps of blonde hair that were ripped out of Jana's head were scattered everywhere. And Ryan turned away from the gruesome scene and yelled for Rachel to call the police, so she called them a second time. Officers arrived on the scene quickly, and Brittany appeared unresponsive. And Jana had no pulse. It appeared the two women were victims of a horrible attack. Jana's body had staggering number of injuries, impossible to count without a proper examination. Brittany was bound with zip ties on her wrists and ankles, and she had a cut on her forehead and scratches down her abdomen. She had no injuries that were super severe on her neck, back, or extremities. An ambulance arrived at about 8 a.m., and Brittany was transported via stretcher to a local hospital for medical treatment. At the hospital, a sexual assault nurse examined and reviewed Brittany. Police officers met with Brittany at the hospital for an interview next, and over the next six days, from March 12th to the 18th, Brittany would speak to law enforcement many times as the detectives tried to nail down the details of that night. Right, and during these interviews, Brittany told authorities an incredibly detailed story, and it was harrowing. It was really like a very terrifying idea that this could have happened to these women. She said... Jaina and her had closed Lululemon the night of March 11th, and the two women were about to head home in their separate cars when Brittany realized she forgot her wallet inside the store. So Brittany texted a coworker because she didn't have Jaina's number to get it, and then called Jaina and asked Jaina to let her back into the store to get her wallet. When Brittany and Jaina re-entered the store, two men dressed entirely in black with ski masks and gloves attacked them. And based on the attacker's voices, Brittany could tell that they were white men in their 20s. The man who attacked Brittany was 5 feet 5, and the man who attacked Jaina was 6 feet tall, and they were both of average builds. According to Brittany, these masked men robbed the store and viciously assaulted both women physically, violently, and sexually. Their actions could easily be considered torture. So according to Brittany, the men used a clothing hanger to sexually assault them. That's a horrible thing to have happen, if that's true. So they threatened to slit Brittany's throat. But when asked about why they didn't kill her but killed Jaina, Brittany said that they said they decided not to kill her because Brittany was, quote, fun to fuck. Brittany explained that she was in constant fear following the attack. She said that the men knew where Brittany lived because they went through a purse and had seen utility bills with her name and address on them and had written them down and taken note or whatever. 
And Brittany's story wasn't that hard to believe. The number of injuries on Jana's body demonstrated the true brutality of these killers. A medical examiner determined that Jana had sustained 331 individual injuries on her head, face, neck, back, and extremities. 105 of them were defensive wounds, indicating that Jana was alive and struggling amidst the account. Her skull was crushed, her spinal cord was severed, and one area of Jana's body was so mutilated that it was impossible to know how many times that she'd been stabbed. Jana's ultimate cause of death was a stab wound to the back of her head. The murder weapons used were items that were found in the store, including a wrench, a rod used to hold a mannequin, a hammer, a box cutter, and an exacto knife. The community of Bethesda is horrified once these details are made public. And it's scary. It's like, who did this? This was a very low crime area. And we have these two murderous rapists on the loose. They went to the Lululemon store. It's like, it's just a crazy thing to have happen. And they all want to know, when could the people of Bethesda sleep peacefully once more? So the police were committed to solving this crime, obviously. And they were trying to make sense of some of the more perplexing facets of the case. For example, the police had found Jana's car parked three blocks away from the Lululemon store. And interestingly, there was blood inside of it. So they were trying to make sense of this. Did this mean the killers drove Jana's car for what reason? Was it to avoid surveillance? Was it to get to their own getaway car? They were trying to piece it together, and the police didn't really know yet. Plus, there were two sets of footprints found at the scene. There was Brittany's, and then there was a size of 14 men's footprints in Reebok sneakers. So the police officers also, and this is really weird, located the bloody shoes at the scene. So why would the killer leave their shoes? And where were the second killer's footprints? Did they remain confined to one area? Did he take his shoes off because he didn't want to be followed? Like, are these really cunning killers or what was happening? Plus, the weapons used to attack Jaina were all from a toolbox located inside the store, indicating that the attacker didn't bring any weapons or they held them at gunpoint and used these weapons, like, for fun, for some unknown reason. They were really trying to understand the MO and the motive and all the other details. And that's not all. So employees from the Apple store next door heard two women yelling the night that Brittany and Jana were attacked. At around 10 p.m., the Apple store employees heard dragging and grunting and thudding and screaming and squealing. And this was all through the wall. The employees heard one female voice say, talk to me, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on? And a second female voice said, God help me, please help me. Ultimately, the Apple Store employees chalked the noises up to a personal dilemma, and that was probably just drama, and nobody called 911, which is fucking insane. Right. And later, court documents would reveal that the judge was really shocked at um, the judge. This is a direct quote. The callous indifference of the people who worked at the Apple Store who heard this happening and didn't do a blessed thing. Direct quote. The judge continued saying, most of us can only shake our heads in amazement wonderment and disgust that nothing more was done. So this may sound harsh, but if one person who heard screaming had called 911, Jaina might still be alive today. Jaina lost her life. And as the media became obsessed with the movements in this case, family and friends from far and wide were devastated, had their lives ruined and reeling from her sudden loss Remember, this is a woman working at a Lulu Lemon store. This is not a high-risk job. Why would somebody do this? 
So, Jaina Troxel Murray was born on November 22, 1980, in Wichita. She spent her childhood in Richmond, Texas, but she grew up to love traveling. Throughout her life, she would explore all corners of the U.S. and abroad. She was interested in athletics, dance, animals, and volunteering. And Jana valued her education. She attended St. Louis University's study abroad program in Madrid, Spain for two years. And this was a natural move for her because she was fluent in Spanish. Jana graduated with a Bachelor's of Science from George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And before she was murdered, Jana was close to finishing a master's degree in communications and an MBA at John Hopkins University. She was clearly driven and she was clearly a brilliant woman. And Jana's positive impact is obvious. Friends describe her as having a heart so full of love, happiness, and generosity that she would give you the clothes off her back or shoes off her feet if you needed them. She was a type of person who was friends with everyone. She'd never met a person she didn't like. The world was absolutely better for having a caring and genuine person like Jana in it. At the time of her death, Jana was a sales team leader at Lululemon, and she was dating a man named Frazier who lived in Seattle. They'd been together for a long time, and Frazier was going to propose soon. He'd even asked Jana's parents for their permission and had looked at engagement rings. And after she graduated from John Hopkins, Jana intended to move to Seattle. But none of that happened. Instead, her funeral was held on March 18th in Texas. Honestly, it makes me so sad because it's just such a sudden, tragic loss that no one could have ever seen coming. And I just can't imagine, given the details of this crime, how her family and would-be fiancé felt. Honestly, it's sickening. So police, obviously, given the nature of this case, are still working it. And they're perplexed as to who would have wanted to hurt Jaina and Brittany. At least that's how they seemed. They seemed perplexed. And the investigators turned to Brittany to help make sense of some of the more bizarre characteristics that were evident at the scene. So in the many interviews that Brittany conducted with the police, she seemed sincerely emotional. Brittany even had tears in her eyes and she would look down frequently. She seemed traumatized. She didn't seem scared or nervous around detectives. In fact, she was conversationable. She seemed shaken, but honest. Brittany's behaviors matched that of a person who had undergone imaginable stress and trauma. But the thing was, Brittany's version of events began to evolve over time, and the evidence police gathered continued to confuse everybody that was involved. The Apple Store employees never heard any men's voices, only two women's voices. And blood spatter indicated that Brittany wasn't attacked in the bathroom like she said she was. The flow of the blood from Brittany's forehead cut was straight down her face, so this meant that she'd probably been standing for hours, not lying on the ground. And also, it was strange that there was blood in Jaina's car that also belonged to Brittany as well as Jaina. Yeah, and one of the most compelling pieces of evidence was provided by Officer Colin O'Brien, who was at the hospital Brittany was transported to after the attack. So this officer met the ambulance carrying Brittany as it arrived and saw a one to two inch cut on Brittany's right hand that ran parallel to her thumb. This guy's a former army medic. But you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Frankly, this injury appears when um, someone stabs something with a sharp object and loses their grip. You see it with knives a lot. Um, It's why knives sometimes have that plate at the base of a blade. It's so your hand doesn't slip. But most knives aren't made for hand-to-hand combat. So if you use something sharp that has a sharp edge like a knife and your hand slips, you cut yourself. So they have some pressing questions for her. Um... 
In a previous interview with police, Brittany had said she didn't know what type of car Jana drove. But in this interview, she had to kind of explain why her blood was in Jana's car. So without prompting, she told law enforcement that the two robbers had actually forced her to move Jana's car and then threatened to kill her if she spoke to anyone about what had happened. This was a huge development and a huge twist in Brittany's story. And then she said that the attackers allowed her to get in the car alone and move it a few blocks away. As she was moving the car, Brittany apparently saw a police officer in a patrol vehicle, but didn't flag them down. And when questioned why she didn't drive away and instead returned back to Lululemon, Brittany stated that she was afraid for her life since the attackers knew where she lived because they'd seen her bills. And this was the first time that Brittany really got frustrated with the detective's line of questioning. And she'd been completely cooperative up to this very point where, I don't know, they're kind of figuring stuff out. In other interviews, Brittany was super calm. She was never fidgeting or restless like someone who had something to hide. But now Brittany could tell that something was different and the police had found some serious problems with her story. Sure, and maybe she's getting defensive because she can sense that police are now turning their suspicions towards her. She told the detective, we've been over this. And the detective says, yeah, but every time we go over it, something else comes out or changes. So I'm just trying to get it as straight as possible. They continue to press Brittany, but she remained defiant. But it wouldn't matter because none of it mattered. Because as it turns out, the police had been piecing things together all along for days. And a clear picture was emerging. It was in fact Brittany Norwood and no one else who was responsible for the murder of her co-worker, Jana Murray. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. For your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The community of Bethesda, Maryland had been on pins and needles for days following the murder of Jaina. Residents were so relieved to hear that finally an arrest had been made in the case, but they were mind blown to hear who the perpetrator was. Brittany Norwood had not been the surviving victim on this case. It was Brittany herself who had savagely murdered Jaina. And in the week following the crime, Brittany tried to coerce the police to buy into her narrative. She told her friends, family, and Jaina's loved ones that she and Jaina had been attacked by two masked men to phantom suspects who were absolute fiction. Brittany said the men attacked and raped them both, killing Jaina after wounding her 331 times with hammers, exacto knives, and whatever else they found in the store. Turns out, none of it was true. It was just another one of Brittany's elaborate stories. Brittany's family and friends were flabbergasted. 
Britney's father, Earl Norwood, told the Washington Post that it was beyond belief. One of Britney's previous club soccer coaches told the Post that she was a player that could knock your fillings out, but she didn't take her ruthless athleticism off the field. And in the same article, a college friend reported that in four years, she never once saw Britney upset, and a coworker of Britney said that she was like a cheerleader and she was always so happy. No one, and especially not her first degree Laney, saw any of this coming. I was in complete shock, first of all. I could not believe it. It was so unbelievably violent and gruesome that it was a little bit terrifying to know that I had shared such close quarters with her and that she was capable of it because we had written off the things that she had done as these like little, you know, things crappy people do. But it was like mind blowing to to hear what she did, how she tried to get away with it. I, I mean, I guess it was just shock that we had gone from like what seemed like these little things to this unbelievable escalation of this unbelievable murder. Brittany had lied about absolutely everything. There were no masked men. There was only a secret that Brittany desperately wanted to hide. And here's what really happened at that Lululemon store on March 11th, 2011. That night around 9 p.m., Brittany and Jaina closed the store together. It's a super common anti-theft procedure that many retail stores require. Jaina had to check Brittany's purse for stolen merchandise. And as someone who worked at Guess when I was in college, that's what you do. Like you check each other's bags because you can't be made to feel emboldened to steal, you know? And during the search, Jaina spotted what looked like yoga pants in Brittany's bag. And uh, Jaina, being an optimist, figured that maybe Brittany had bought the pants earlier that day from another coworker who'd been there in the shift prior. And maybe she forgot to mention anything about them. So Jaina didn't like confront her. She was going to give her the benefit of the doubt. And the two women left. And when Jaina got to her car, she used her cell phone to call their other coworker and asked this coworker if Brittany had bought any yoga pants from the Lululemon that day. And guess what? Brittany hadn't. Brittany's pesky little habit of stealing was rearing its ugly head. These yoga pants were in fact stolen, but this time she wasn't a star soccer player on a team with a coach that would ignore her indiscretions. Jaina was a trustworthy, honest, moral, by the book kind of employee. There was no doubt that she was going to report Brittany for theft. Jaina, on the spot in her car, called her manager, Rachel and told Rachel about the stolen yoga pants. And again, this is the same Rachel who the next morning would later discover Jaina and Brittany in the store. Before Jaina went home, Brittany called her. Brittany claimed she'd left her wallet in the store and asked Jaina to let her back in to get it. At about 10 p.m., the two women went back into the store to get Brittany's wallet. And from here, one of two things happened. Either Brittany lured Jaina back into the store with the wallet ruse to try and talk Jaina into not telling anyone about the pants, and Jaina ultimately refused, or Brittany lured Jaina back into the store with the wallet ruse, and once they got inside, Jaina confronted Brittany about the yoga pants. But either way, the result is exactly the same. Brittany ultimately physically attacked Jaina with multiple weapons from a toolbox within the store. Brittany stabbed or wounded Jaina 330 times finally killing her with a blow to the head. And after Brittany did this, she went to great lengths to stage and confuse the scene, like crazy lengths, attempting to make it appear that the two women had been attacked. 
But like the lengths we're talking about. So Brittany took a pair of men's Reebok sneakers from a Lululemon display, dipped them in blood, and created footprints around the crime scene to make it seem as though a man had been there. That's some truly diabolical shit. And she moved Jaina's car to the parking lot within walking distance of the store, so it would appear as though the robber stole the car. So while moving the car, Brittany actually sat in the driver's seat for about 90 minutes, and she was probably panicking to figure out how to cover this up. She eventually returned to the store where she moved various items, took money from the safe to really sell this robbery theory that she was trying to fabricate. Then she gave herself superficial injuries and cut a slit in the crotch of her pants to, you know, mimic being sexually assaulted. It's a disgusting thing to do. Then Brittany bound her own hands and feet with zip ties and laid down on the floor where she waited to be found. The most tragic thing about all of this was that Jaina had already told her manager and another coworker about Brittany's theft. Brittany murdering Jaina stopped nothing. Brittany's trial began on October 26th of 2011 at the Circuit Court for Montgomery County. Brittany faced charges of first-degree murder and second-degree murder. No one, not even Brittany's defense lawyers, were trying to argue that she didn't kill Jaina. Everybody knew that she clearly did. Instead, the question for the jury was, should Brittany be charged with first-degree premeditated murder, or was it a crime of passion? Although Brittany didn't plan to murder Jaina before their altercation over these stolen yoga pants, she had taken so much time in this crime that it could be argued that this was premeditated. So the prosecution actually argued that the attack was continuous and brutal and theorized that Jaina must have sustained a wound every three seconds for a total of 16 minutes to equal her 330 injuries. Plus, just imagine the considerable time that it took Brittany to walk around the Lululemon store to gather the weapons to do this. This wasn't a single blow to the head in a heated argument, in a heat of passion. This was a long, long time spent hurting a woman who did nothing wrong. And it's probably why Brittany's defense didn't call any witnesses. What would they say other than corroborate her track record of theft and creating elaborate ruses to get out of being in trouble, which is exactly what she did here. On November 2nd, after less than an hour of deliberation, the jury found Brittany Norwood guilty of first-degree murder. And before she was sentenced, Brittany apologized and asked Jaina's family for forgiveness. This was the first sign of remorse Brittany had shown since she was arrested. And the judge was not impressed. He said when he was thinking about what sentence to give her, he wanted to understand how long the attack could have been. So he hit his podium 333 times. That's fucking wild. I've never heard of anything like that happening in a courtroom. And apparently just to hit his podium that many times, and you can tell he's moved, yeah. right, by the details in this case to, to demonstrate that in such a way. And I think that's kind of inspiring. Yeah. It took him eight minutes to hit his gavel that many times. That's without gathering other weapons. That's without someone begging for their life and begging someone to stop. It's really chilling. So on January 27th of 2012, Brittany Norwood was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So today, Brittany is incarcerated in Maryland Correctional Institution for Women in Jessup, Maryland. All of her, her appeals have been denied. And surprisingly, the Bethesda Lululemon, where the crime occurred, was not closed. That's really weird to me. Instead, they remodeled it and reopened with the proclamation that they were going to embrace the theme of love in honor of Jaina. And they put up this stained glass window with the word love for Jaina, which is so bizarre weird. and yeah. weird. And like, 
I don't know. They could have literally closed it and moved to a different part of the mall. Like they shouldn't have stayed there. They, they should be, they should no. have closed that store and moved it to like just a other side of the mall. Honestly, it's just weird. It's just not cool. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, you have enough money to reopen the store somewhere else. Yeah, it's actually so fucked up. But when the store ended up relocating in 2017, they sent the stained glass art to Gina's brother. Like, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm sure they love that. Yeah. So in a meaningful gesture, John Hopkins University awarded Jana both of these degrees that she was pursuing when she was murdered as like an honorary degree. And that like makes me choke up because I'm like, it's so scary that you can be working so hard towards something and people someone can just take everything away from you. You know, yeah. her death was tragic and unnecessary and her family has done amazing work in her honor. They founded the Jaina Troxel Murray Foundation where they support and promote the interests and passions that enriched Jaina's life. They offer scholarships for programs that Jaina participated in like the St. Louis University Madrid Study Abroad Program. Brittany Norwood, she's selfish. She's diabolical beyond words. To do something like this, she must have been either like inching closer to erupting in a violent way. Like I have no words for yeah. someone to go through the links that she did when she would have faced very mild repercussions for stealing a pair of yoga pants. You know, you don't get arrested for that. You get fired. You can get another retail job. Her behavior continues to baffle, I think, everyone. But the thing is, Brittany had demonstrated a pattern of behavior that went completely unchecked for a really long time. She'd never been held accountable for any petty thefts. She was brazen with her stealing in college. She was never held accountable, which explains why she did what she did. And her first degree wonders whether she ever would have gone this far if she was called out for her thefts when she was younger, when they happened. I wish so much that either whoever complained about her behavior and her antics had been taken more seriously. It might not have escalated. Maybe if she had been met with discipline early on, I mean, who knows? Maybe it would have done something, anything to detract from her confidence that she could just get away with whatever the hell she wanted. The soccer coach in charge of the Stony Brook team had been made aware of this bold and brazen crimes that Brittany had perpetrated against her own teammates, and nothing was done. Apparently, criminal activity can be and is often ignored if the person is seen as valuable to a lucrative athletics organization. And we see this all of the time. And it's not usually with stealing, but it's certainly with domestic violence, with sexual assault and beyond. We see it every fucking day. Just looking back on it now is like a, you know, grown woman with children of my own. I think it is crazy that she never thought she never faced any repercussions. They were never going to sacrifice the good of the team to punish her or for her to face discipline action because it just, for whatever reason, wasn't be worth it. I think it's outrageous. I mean, obviously if we had known how it escalated, I'm sure my ex coach at the time would probably have a different feeling on that. It feels like, you know, we threw the word klepto around and like how easily you can just be like, Oh, she can't control it. Oh, she's a klepto. You know, like, I think that she was so empowered by all those years of getting away with it with no consequences. I think it absolutely empowered her to just take matters into her own hands or not let that be the next thing that happens to her. And right, Jaina was the type of person who did the right thing by nature. She wasn't going to let Brittany skate by and rob this store right under her nose. The truth was... 
and this is like shocking, they had long suspected Brittany of stealing from the store. This actual time when they caught her, it was not the first time Brittany had stolen from the store, but it was the first time that Jane had caught her red-handed. All of a sudden, when the hammer comes down and you have real-life consequences to deal with, you you have no ability to cope. You have no ability to go, well, you know, I have no ability to reason with these consequences or whatever. And, and so you, what, you snap or you eliminate the threat like she did? I just, I don't know. The Stony Brook soccer coach who decided that the team's winning record was more important than making Brittany face consequences refused to comment on the case to any reporters. Lainey has never reached out to Brittany, but her life has been affected by their connection so many years ago. Now Lainey is more likely to be skeptical of people and their motives in general. I have a ton more trepidation or I'm a lot less likely to trust somebody through both this case and just like the true crime world kind of taking off in itself. I don't really have so much patience or I don't lend excuses to people's behavior as I used to. This is such a like defining thing in my life. And I'm like, I was literally in locker room with this girl. Like I have showered with this girl. I mean, you name it, the proximity is as close as it gets to somebody that is capable of doing that. And you had no idea. Even after she showed me repeatedly what she was capable of in terms of like stealing things and all of that. I never took it seriously enough. And having this as such a freaking gigantic example of don't mess with crazy. You know, if something is not normal, believe that. So if you can be that caught off guard after spending that kind of time with somebody, imagine, you know, when you don't know somebody. Like Lainey said, it's difficult to know who you can trust. And spending time with someone doesn't necessarily mean we understand the nature of their character at all. People get deceived all the time. Jaina's murder is especially disheartening, especially depressing and frustrating because we're left with all of these what-ifs. Her death might have been avoided if ellipses, right? Anything could have happened because this seems so senseless. Maybe had she been reprimanded in college... Maybe if the Apple Store employees had taken upon themselves to call 911. It's kitschy, but perhaps this is a reminder to everyone that if we fucking see something, it's important to say something and ultimately do something. And a huge thank you to Lainey for being our first degree guest today. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. No story is too small or too insignificant. Follow us on Instagram. You can join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Please join our Patreon. We have a lot of fun bonus content for you over there and stick around tomorrow because we have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland. Welcome and congratulations, and we're excited to have you to our new writer and researcher, Andrea Marshbank. She wrote this episode. She did a great job. Uh, We're so excited to have you. Sources for this episode are court documents, The Washington Post, NBC Washington, Maryland Department of Public Safety and Correctional Services, Find a Grave, The Star Democrat, The Baltimore Sun, The Bismarck Tribune, Yoga Store Murder, 
wow, that's its own website, ABC News, the Gina Troxel Murray Foundation, The Patch, The Seattle Times, Lululemon, WJLA, and the Mayo Clinic. And as always, friends, our first three guests is always our largest source. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.